Napa know-how. There are lots of amazing cars on the road, but perhaps none more amazing than the paid-off car. It may not be pretty, but the price is right. Heck, if you keep that thing running, it'll actually start paying you. Because with Napa Rewards, for every $100 you spend, you'll get $5 off. So keep your car running longer, stronger with Napa Rewards, and watch the savings start rolling in. That's Napa Know-How. Napa Know-How. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked on Seahawks. This is Vincent Verhaya, Football Outsiders, and I'm back talking your Seattle Seahawks and all the news around the NFL. Thanks for hanging out today, and let's hang out again tomorrow. Be sure you and your friends subscribe to the podcast because I will be here for you every weekday. We're going to have some fun today. We're going to take a look around the NFL, see where things are going come out of the, coming out of the Seahawks bye week. And we're going to have more from the mailbag. But first, before we get into all that, I want to tell you about my bookie. We all know football season is here. And it's time for you to get off the couch and get in the action. You can play like the pros at mybookie.net. It's the most exciting online experience for, for sports fans. Uh, my bookie features real Vegas odds, incredible player props for every football game. And here's the best part. If you're like me, you have trouble getting going in the morning, especially on the weekends. And there's some times when I sit down on the couch and those 10 a.m. early games, they've already, they're already underway. If you're like me and you're a late sleeper, you sometimes miss the kickoff, you don't have to worry about that. My bookie has live in-games with odds updated in real time, so you are never too late to make a play. It's optimized for smartphone users for nonstop action on the go. So don't waste time. Go to mybookie.net. If that's too much for you to remember, just go online, type MyBookie in your browser, and sign up today. Use promo code Seahawks to be entered into their million-dollar prize pool. Promo code is Seahawks, spelled just like you would think, S-E-A-H-A-W-K-S, Seahawks. Use that promo code to be entered, entered into their million-dollar prize pool. Or you can call 844-722-2387. That's 844-722-2387. One more time, 844-722-2387. Join the thousands, thousands of online players already playing. Only the biggest, only the best, only at MyBookie. Sign up today. Now we're going to take a look around the rest of the NFL. The Seahawks, of course, were on their uh, bye week this week, so there was no action in Seattle. And their closest divisional rival is Arizona, who played last Thursday night. So in some ways, it was a pretty flat weekend for the Seahawks and their fans uh, as far as Sunday's action and what it meant for our home team. So I'm just going to take a look around at what the state of the, uh, really the state of the NFC is. For the AFC, there's only two teams to worry about for Seattle, the two teams they have not played. They, of course, have already beaten the Dolphins and Jets. They still have to play two NFC East teams, or excuse me, AFC East teams, the uh, Patriots and Bills. And the Patriots, obviously, are the one to be more concerned with. Uh, at this point, the Patriots may have been as good as any team in the in the NFL. They went 3-1 and one without Tom Brady. Now Tom Brady is back, and they absolutely destroyed the Browns. Cleveland came in. This is important. It's not like this team is just Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski in the offense. Cleveland came into this game with a very explosive rushing attack. They had two guys in uh, uh, Duke Johnson and Isaiah Crowell, two guys averaging better than six yards per carry. And 
New England went into their house and shut those guys down. The Browns finished with 22 carries for 27 yards, barely one yard per carry. And that also includes, by the way, Terrell Pryor, a dangerous running threat, whatever they put him in the backfield. So that's a uh, very scary game for Seattle. We have to travel to their place to play them later. The other AFC team that Seattle has left to play is the Buffalo Bills. Now, the Bills got off to a slow start, and their defense was giving up 30-some points per game. So they fired their offensive coordinator, which annoyed me and pissed me off because it struck to me as an example of scapegoating. Uh, Rex Ryan couldn't fire the defensive coordinator because the defensive coordinator was his brother, Rob Ryan. And so rather than fire his brother, he fired the offensive coordinator when things on offense seemed to be going okay. Well, I can't argue with the results. It has worked. They shut out uh, New England in their first game after firing Greg Roman. And then this week, they won a close game against the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, Gave up a bunch of yards, gave up a bunch of big plays in the passing game. But they were able to get a pick six to have a, get a defensive score on the board, and they kept the Rams out of the end zone all day. So they got, escaped with the narrow win. Uh, they, so that's not a pushover for Seattle, though they should definitely be favored in that game when it comes around. That'll also be an interesting game just because Tyrod Taylor, if you just called him a poor man's Russell Wilson, you'd have a very good description of him. Uh, he's not quite as good, but he's very similar style. He's a scrambler uh, with a big arm who can make a lot of big plays in the passing game. So that's the AFC at least from the Seahawks' perspective. That's all that really matters, the, the two teams they have left to play. The NFC is a lot of surprises just up and down the uh, up and down the league. Uh, starting our own division, we talked about the Cardinals winning on Thursday night, and we talked about the Rams losing on Sunday. Uh, because of the Rams' loss, the Seahawks moved into first place without even playing a game. So we can all thank the Buffalo Bills for getting that done and putting Seattle back in first place. Now, the Rams, part of the reason they lost, they had no Lance Brockers, no uh, Robert Quinn on the defensive line. Two defensive linemen out for that game. And Buffalo averaged better than seven yards per carry as a result. And the other big factor in that game was some very strange coaching by Jeff Fisher, who is I'm not a fan of, and we can talk about, we'll talk about this later. But uh, the, the, the Rams were down by four points with like three minutes to go or two minutes and change to go. And they had fourth and five in their own territory. And they brought out the punt team. And all I could think was, this is the most obvious fake punt scenario I've ever seen in my life. Sure enough, it was a fake punt. The Bills were not fooled. They stuffed it for a two-yard gain on fourth and five, and the Bills took over, got an insurance touchdown, and that was essentially that. Very strange call for, for the Rams there. But that is why they're the Rams. That is why they're in second place and Seattle's in first. Uh, across the rest of the NFC, Atlanta, who is Seattle's opponent this weekend, very formidable foe. Uh, they had been doing very well early on offense. Hadn't really played a great defense yet. Well, they went into Denver, and they didn't exactly light them up, but they played better, better, better than anyone else has against the Broncos defense. The reigning Super Bowl champion Broncos defense got uh, 20 points on the road. Did it without much from Julio Jones. It was mostly Tevin Coleman and Devonta Freeman, uh, both running and passing. So their offense is legit in Atlanta. The defense still has some question marks. In their first four games, they allowed at least three touchdowns all four times, and they played better against Denver, but Denver was missing several starting linemen, and also their starting quarterback playing a rookie in his first start. So I'm going to give, I'm not ready to uh, jump on board the Atlanta defensive bad wagon yet, but that offense is very scary. Now, before we get around to taking on the rest of the league, let's look at what's going on around the Locked On Podcast Network this week. I like what uh, David Locke, the head honcho around here, I like what he had to say about locked-on NFL draft. 
When these guys told me they wanted to do daily NFL draft talk, I thought they were nuts. Now I listen each day. Yeah, you don't want to miss Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs. These guys know what they're talking about. They're breaking down week six in the NC2A action, looking at all the top prospects for April's draft. Meanwhile, locked on Falcons, the Seattle's next opponent. Knox Bardeen asked the question, is it time to take the Falcons seriously? And I think that's a absolute yes. They're not a perfect team by any means, but that is a dangerous, dangerous club. And over the mothership, locked on NFL, Matt Williamson has game reviews from week five. The uh, Falcons win over the Broncos. The Steelers win over the Jets. The Vikings defeat of, of uh, Houston. And Green Bay's win over the Giants. All right, with that business out of the way, let's get back to looking around the state of the NFC. Uh, I actually, in my notes here, I skipped over Minnesota, which is a huge mistake. If you look at all five weeks of the season, the Vikings have probably been the NFC's best team, which is a major shock to me, at least. Uh, I thought the defense was average last year and overhyped. They've gotten much better this year. They are a dominant unit on that side of the ball. I thought Sam Bradford was a very mediocre quarterback, and I thought they panicked when they traded a first-round pick. He has been excellent so far this year, and... I happened to watch this Minnesota-Houston game very closely. He was brilliant. He was outstanding against the Houston defense. And the the, the, the Texans would get block uh, pass rushers in his face, and he was making these great throws under pressure, putting the ball right where it needed to be at exactly the right time. A tremendous game for Sam Bradford. So the Vikings, at this point, are probably, I would say the Seattle's most dominant threat to home field advantage in the playoffs. Over the NFC East, Cowboys are playing very, very well. And now the question really is, when Tony Romo is healthy, does he get his job back? I think a lot of uh, Dak Prescott's success this year is obvious statement. He hasn't thrown any interceptions yet, and so he's been very good. I mean, duh. At some point, he is going to throw a pick or two. We'll have to see how he reacts to that. How does he deal with failure? How does he uh, come back to his mistakes? I tend to lean Tony Romo in this. If I was Dallas, I would say we've got a much longer track record, a much larger sample size of success with Tony Romo than we do with Dak Prescott. I know a lot of people feel differently. I don't blame you. And frankly, either way, I honestly don't think it matters who's playing quarterback for this team. The fact is their offensive line is so dominant. Uh, that's the key to, to beating Dallas is getting, getting beating that offensive line and getting pressure on the quarterback. And that is much, 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 much easier said than done. And the other prominent team in the NFC East this year is the Philadelphia Eagles. They're now 3-1 and one after losing to Detroit. Kind of a bad luck loss where they uh, came back from 21 points down and take the lead, then had back-to-back -back turnovers in the last two drives to kind of end the game there. But we're going to find out a lot about how good the Eagles are. They've only beaten one really good team this year. They, had a, they just ran Pittsburgh out of the state. Uh, the Steelers may not play in Pennsylvania anymore. It just belongs to the Eagles. But... They're going to play at Washington this week, the Eagles are. And after that, they host Minnesota, and then they play at Dallas. So get back to me in three weeks. By that point, we'll have a lot better idea of how good the Eagles really are. As for other teams on Seattle's schedule, you all know about Arizona. They look like a totally different team from last year. Uh, the Niners just suck. The Saints can't play any defense. Uh, we got some big games coming up for Seattle. November 13th and 20th, they're at New England, and they host Philadelphia. That could be the turning point of Seattle's season one way or another. And there's also games against the Panthers, the Packers, and the Cardinals in December. So it seems like that first month was just flew by, but there is still a long way to go in this season. Now we're going to dip back into the mailbag. I want to thank Jeremy in Orange, California, who had his questions for us on a Friday. And he's got more questions today. 
And since it's the bye week and I got no game to recap, I'm going to answer these questions. If you'd like to have your questions answered, LockedOnSeahawks at gmail.com. Drop us a line. Questions, comments, concerns, hate mail, praise, poetry. If you got a Seahawks haiku, I'll read that on the air. So the question from Jeremy and Orange, first one, who is your most hated Seahawks rival? For me, and this is Jeremy talking again, the 49ers are too impotent to be considered a rival. I respect Arizona too much to hate them, so I go with either the Lambs or the Steelers. And I'm assuming he means the Rams, and he spells Steelers with an A. Uh, do you go old school AFC West like the Chiefs or Broncos? It's an obvious, easy question for me. Rams, 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 Rams. I like the Cardinals. Larry Fitzgerald is one of my favorite players of all time in football. I think Bruce Arians is uh, up and I realize they're struggling now, but I think Bruce Arians has been the best game day coach in the league for the past five years or so. Uh, I feel the same way about the Panthers, who see, the Seahawks seem to play once or twice every year. I love Cam Newton. I love uh, Luke Keekley. I love Ron Rivera. I love that team. I love them too much to hate them. Uh, San Francisco, as Jeremy noted, no fun to hate these days. Uh, I'm a big New England fan. I love Tom Brady. I love Bill Belichick. Uh, just too many good players on Pittsburgh to, to hate them. And then there's the Rams. The Rams are a crappy team. The Rams have a crappy coach. The Rams have crappy players all over the roster. And somehow they still beat Seattle every time out. I don't get it. I can't explain it. I've given up trying to understand it. But the team I hate most is the Rams, and it's not close. Jeremy's next question. Who is your favorite current Seahawk? I think Michael Bennett is so lovable, both on the field and off. But it's hard not to say Marshawn when he was on the team. Now, it's funny he asked me, he sent me this question. Uh, this, uh, this was in my mailbox this morning before I read the following quote from Michael Bennett. Now, a week ago in the Jets game, there was a play where uh, Brian Winters of the Jets, an offensive lineman, he had a late blindside hit on Michael Bennett, which is about as dirty a thing as you can do in a football field. Came up from behind him after the play and hit a shot to the head. And then Winters went down, and Bennett shrugged it off. Now, it was a late blindside hit. So the league said, no, no, Brian Winters, you can't do that. Here's a $24,000 fine. And the Jets were flagged on the play as well. It was a personal foul. Well, here's news today. Brian Winter, on this late blindside hit that got himself fined, also suffered a concussion. So now he's the concussion protocol. And reporters today asked Michael Bennett how he felt about that. And here was his reply. That's how you know I'm made of iron, Bennett said. He chief shot at me and he got a concussion. My wife was happy. So that's a good answer for Michael Bennett. Anyone with that quotable, anyone that entertaining, Michael and his brother Martellus, the black unicorn, uh, tremendously fun guys, creative guys. Uh, there was a feature on them on ESPN.com not too long ago, what they do in their downtime in the offseason, what their plans are for after football. Very thoughtful guys. Speaking of thoughtful, Richard Sherman, Doug Baldwin have a lot to say about current events and social topics. There's a lot on their mind. They're taking advantage of the platform they have to uh, try to make differences in the community. A lot of respect for them. There's so many good guys in this team. Bennett's so fun to watch. Uh, gun to my head, I'm going to say Russell Wilson, just because his future is so bright at the most important position in the highest-profile sport in the country. 
there's a very good chance this guy's going to be, be a perennial MVP candidate. There's a very good chance he's going to be multiple Super Bowls and Lombardi trophies in his future. There's a very good chance he's going to be the top Seattle star since a kid named Junior was singing a baseball bat in this town. And I am dead serious when I say someday Russell Wilson is going to make a run for president. And God willing, that will be a more inspiring presidential race than that what we have here in 2016. Question number three. If Pete Carroll suddenly retired, who would you want to be head coach, assuming that John Snyder stays at GM? Now, this is actually a very relevant question because the Giants, quote-unquote, fired Tom Coughlin in January. Uh, He resigned technically to avoid firing or whatever. The point is he's not the Giants coach. And when that was done, Pete Carroll then became the oldest coach in the NFL, which is a surprise for so many people just because Pete Carroll seems like you know, the, the older brother at summer camp. He seems like he's the, he does not seem like an old man at all. He seems like a very, very young man. And uh, there it is. He is the oldest coach in the league. And given that he is the oldest coach in the league, old guys more likely to retire than young guys. That's my professional opinion as a uh, football analyst. So I don't know who the name is. Uh, I will say that the next Seattle Seahawks head coach, the next great head coach in this league for that matter, probably not a head coach right now. Guys like Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick are exceptions. Usually, when guys have failed in their first job in the NFL, they fail at their second job too. So I hope that whoever the next Seahawks coach is, uh, it's probably an assistant somewhere right now, someone you've never heard of, but someone who's going to make a big impact on his job and uh, be creative and uh, creative and inspiring. I want, I want a young face. I want a guy getting his first shot at the job. I don't want a John Fox I don't want a uh, Jack Del Rio. I don't want a guy who's been around and has been nothing special before. I want to find someone special who hasn't done anything special yet. Jeremy also asks, which Seahawks writers do you enjoy reading? And he's thinking more of the uh, fan sites and blogs here than professional journalists, like you'd get at the PI or the TNT or the Seattle Times. I hope you all know how great Field Goals is as a fan blog. Uh, part of my job, not just as a Seahawks podcaster, but as a pro football analyst, I look at a lot of team blogs for a lot of teams looking for commentary and analysis and stuff. Believe you me, most NFL teams would be lucky to have a site as good as Field Goals to read. Uh, there's a reason when the Ringer was looking for pro analysts, they hired Danny Kelly from Field Goals. So everyone should go check that out if you have not, fieldgoals.com, and it's goals like seagull, G-U-L-L. So fieldgoals.com, they're doing great stuff over there pretty much all the time. And finally, a a comment from Jeremy, not a correction or a uh, question. You were correct about wings being the number one food during football season, though I'd hear objections for breakfast burritos. Now, I'm not going to lie, breakfast burritos are amazing, uh, especially relevant in you know the West Coast where we're often eating breakfast when football starts. I love a good breakfast burrito. I love, I love eggs, eggs and cheesiness, and you throw in some bacon and or sausage, peppers and onions in there, and you put, just douse the whole thing in, uh, in hot sauce. I like tapatio. Some people like Cholula, but whatever you have. That's, that is a great meal at any time of day, really, not just, not just for breakfast. They call them breakfast burritos, but believe you me, they're good at 1.30 a.m. too. So that is going to do it for today. I want to thank you all for listening. It's been another fun show. Remember, you can always send us a line at uh, LockedOnSeahawks at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at LockedSeahawks. And be sure to like us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash LockedOnSeahawks. That is going to do it for today. Thank you for listening, and go Hawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily podcast on the Seattle Seahawks.
part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. 